0: Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: To Colossians chapter 1, and our study today is in verses 15 through 19. There is a tremendous amount to study in this passage, so we're going to progress and get as far as we get, and uh, when uh, 1 o'clock comes, when 12 o'clock comes... Then I will close out and uh, we will pick up the following week. But this book of Colossians is very important because it is meant to demonstrate to the Colossian church, to us and to the world, that Jesus Christ is absolutely sufficient for everything and that he is preeminent in all. He's preeminent in all got to get my little stick here. I just want to quickly review just what we said last week so that we can kind of build on each of these points as we go along. This section, chapter 1 verses 15 through the end of the chapter, verse 29, is a section that has to do with the person of Christ and the work that he accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. I said that the key phrase is verse 18, the latter part of the verse, that says that in all things he might have the preeminence. And I want to ask you today, and I'm going to continue asking you in the weeks to come, is Jesus Christ preeminent in our church? Is It's true that when we come together and we walk out of this place, we have a greater appreciation of Jesus Christ than we've had before. Part of the reason we're studying this passage is that we might understand better exactly who he is and what he has accomplished. Paul's intent in this passage is to give Christ his proper place in three areas, in the Godhead, And his proper place in the Godhead is that he is equal with the Father and with the Spirit. That they are one and they are equal within the Trinity. In creation, he's not part of it. He is the creator of the world. And lastly, in the church, he's not a member of the body. He is the head of the body. And those are the things that we will be studying together in the coming weeks. Christ's preeminence, his superiority, is revealed in several different ways in verses 15 to 29. And the first one we saw last week, as the image of God. The word image means the exact reproduction in every respect, a derived image. In other words, when Jesus came into this world, he came as fully God. God. He was not lacking in any of his deity. Now, he did not exercise all of his attributes while he was here, but he still possessed them, and that is the key. He was fully God. He's fully God in essence, his substance, his nature, his being, just as the Father and the Spirit are. He is fully God in his character. Christ was absolutely holy and sinless. And last, he was fully God in generation, in that he is the eternal Word. Even as the Father and the Spirit are eternal, even so the Word, the second person of the Trinity, is eternal. And of course, we know that the Word became flesh, and we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so last week, that's what we saw. That's the basic truth. I went into a lot more detail. But Jesus Christ is the image of God. Now secondly, I want you to notice with me today that Jesus Christ is the firstborn of every creature. Let's just bow for prayer. Lord, we need your help. We need your spirit to do his work. If he doesn't do his, Lord, it doesn't matter what I do. Because it'll never amount to anything if it only comes from the human source. Lord, the Spirit must take the word and wing it to our minds and to our hearts and into our experience. And I pray that the Spirit will do his work today. And Lord, I feel weak. I feel weak spiritually. I've been seeking your face, Lord. You know this morning I've been up since early seeking your face, wanting, oh God, To come here prepared not only to worship, but to minister the word of God. But I know how weak I am. I know how human I am. I know how prone to frailty and to failure I am. And so I pray now, Lord, that you will take control of my body, particularly of my mind and of my lips, and help me to proclaim your truth in a way that will honor your name. We thank you for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to read this phrase for you underneath the main point B. Firstborn does not and cannot mean first created. Jesus Christ is not a created being. Jesus Christ is the creator. And it's important that we understand that distinction many have taken and in the times of the Bible in the New Testament it was a group called the Arians today it would be groups like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses who teach this truth they say Jesus was the first one that God created and then he empowered Jesus to create everything else now that that all sounds good to a person who is not familiar with the Bible. The problem is Jesus was not created by the Father. Jesus has eternally existed. He's the eternal Word and yes he was born into this world but he already existed before time began. So he's not a first creation empowered to do other creations he is the Creator. Now, if you were to suggest that Jesus was the first creation, that does not harmonize with the word in Greek that is used to describe Jesus. Monogenes means only begotten. What does only mean? It means how many are there if it's only? It's one. He's the only begotten, literally. He's the uniquely begotten. He's the one and Only He's a one of a kind. Now notice it says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Now one of the early church fathers, his name was, I don't know, Theodoret. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. But he made these, asked these three questions about this particular doctrine. He said this, and this is a quote. How, if Christ was only begotten, could he be first begotten? If you're first, that means there are more afterwards. But the Bible doesn't call Jesus first begotten. It calls him what? Only begotten. Now, he turns it around. How, if he were first begotten, could he be only begotten? He couldn't. It would be impossible. How could he be the first of many in his class? That is, he's the unique son of God, the one-of-a-kind son of God. How can he be first of many in his class and at the same time be the only member of his class? Impossible, right? So if you say he was first created, you are suggesting that he's one of many creations. But if he is only begotten of the Father, he's the only son of God. You say, well, aren't we sons and daughters of God? Yes, we are. But we are sons and daughters of God in a totally different way. The Bible says we have been adopted into his family. So you've been adopted if you're saved today. Isn't that good? And when God adopts you, he gives you the full rights and privileges of a son or a daughter of God. That's why the Bible says we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything Christ will have in eternity, guess what? We'll have it as well. Isn't that something to look forward to? Firstborn, and this is very important, The particular Greek word, and forgive me for digging into this a little bit deeply, but prototokos is the word. And in a few minutes I'm going to show you why it must be this word and not another word that is used. Prototokos is to have priority in creation and to have sovereignty over creation. It's his superlative dignity. Now, in, help me to, uh, help you to understand this a little bit better. Jesus was not created, and I want to give you five reasons why we know he was not created. Number one, the whole point of this passage, and in fact the whole point of the book of Colossians, is to show Christ's superiority, superiority over all things. That's the goal, that he might have the preeminence. He will be the highest in rank, the highest order. He's put over everything else. That is what this word means. Other statements about Christ in this passage, and there are two important ones, says that he's creator of all. Now in a moment I'm going to make this point, so I'm going to slip it in right now quickly you can't be creator of all and create yourself you understand what i'm saying you have to be in order to create you can't create yourself he is the creator of all so the all he creates must exclude him he's also the upholder of creation Everything holds together. The reason why this world doesn't just blow up and go in every direction is because Jesus Christ and his power is holding the world together. So these statements in this very passage demonstrate he can't be part of the creation. He has to be superior to the creation. The firstborn cannot be part of the creation if he created all things. One cannot create himself before he exists. Does that make sense? Now, folks, the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own translation of the Bible. And I have to mention them specifically because I want you to understand how they reach the conclusion that they do. They take these verses in the beginning of John and six times they put in a word that does not appear in the original text. And it's the word other. So every time the Bible says that he created all things, they put a word in the middle. They say he created all other things. That way they can say God created him and then he created all others. Six times in their translation they put the word other there and it never appears one single time in the original, transla- in the original manuscripts of the scripture so that is really a deceitful thing to do because what they're doing is making support for their doctrinal position by adding to the Word of God and the Bible says that's a very dangerous thing to do and I'm not trying to be mean and critical toward Jehovah's Witnesses I just want you to understand the reason they believe what they do is because their translation has added words that should not be there okay the firstborn In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6 says that he received worship of all the angels. And yet the Bible teaches in Exodus 20 verses 4 and 5 that creatures should never be worshipped. If he's a creature, angels would have no right to worship him. In fact, when men tried to worship angels, what did they do? They said, absolutely not, only God is to be worshipped. And the firstborn was worshipped by the angels. Why? Because he is God. Now here, the Greek word for firstborn is prototokos. That's the word I just gave you. If Christ were the first created, the Greek word would have to be protoktosis. It's a completely different word. And so we know from the Greek language as well. And I'm not trying to go too awful, you know, digging too deep in the ground here, but what I want you to understand is words are important, folks. And Protocticus is going to be used again when it talks about being first born and about a verse or so, it's going to use the exact same word again. And it cannot mean first created because he was not created. Jesus has priority over all creation and the reason why is declared here because of his preexistence. In the scripture here it says he is what before all things. Now the all things are the all things of creation and he is before all things of creation means he existed before there was a creation now Micah 5 2 is often quoted for the first part of the verse but you gotta read the whole thing but you Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler Israel, And people stop right there and they say that is a messianic promise about the Lord Jesus who is going to come to be the king over the nation of Israel and he's going to rule and reign on the earth. But in describing this ruler that's coming, it says what? Whose goings forth are from of old. From when? From everlasting. This king is not a created being. He doesn't have a beginning and an end. He has always existed. Third, Jesus is sovereign over all the creation because he's the creator. When you make it, you rule it. Only the creator existed before created things. Thus the creator must be God, And if he's God, then he must be the Lord of creation. He made us. Well. He made us, and now it probably won't work after all of that. He made us, and for that reason, he is our Lord. Or at least he's supposed to be our Lord, amen? He's supposed to be. When I think about the Lord Jesus, yes, my first thought of him is as my Savior (laughs) and my master, right? But he's also my creator, and I owe him allegiance because he is my creator. He's the Lord of creation, and because he made me, he has a right to tell me what to do. He has a right to tell me how to live my life, and it must line up with his perfect will. Thank you. So he is the firstborn of all creation. He has priority over creation, and he rules all of creation. But he's not a created being himself. So the third thing I want you to see, he is not only the image of God, and the firstborn of all creation, he is the creator. Now when it says that he's the creator of all things... Literally, in the collective sense, it is the whole universe of things. In other words, every single thing that exists anywhere was made by Him. You know, it's amazing the creation. Science was one of my worst subjects in school, sorry. Can't tell you from personal experience this information, but I want to tell you as I was reading through these stats about the universe and the universes that are out beyond ours, the sheer size of the universe is staggering. Let me give you some facts. The Sun, for example, has a diameter of 864,000 miles that's huge but guess what it's 100 times larger than the earth's diameter and the sun if you could put together 1.3 million planets that are the same size as the earth they could all fit inside the sun think about how big this world is and a million 1,300,000 earths could fit inside the sun Wow. And he made that all. He made the universe of all things. The star, you pronounce it, but this star has a diameter, Now we just talked about 864,000 mile diameter. This star has a diameter of 100 million miles. It is so large that if The earth and the sun being in the place that they are, if that star tried to pass between the two, it would hit both the sun and the earth at the same time. That's how big that star is. One star. It takes sunlight traveling at 186,000 miles per second, about 8.5 minutes to reach earth. Yet the same light would take more than four years to reach the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, some 24, listen, trillion miles away from Earth. The galaxy to which our sun belongs, the Milky Way, contains hundreds of billions of stars. That's just the Milky Way. And astronomers estimate that there are millions and perhaps even billions of galaxies. What they can see leads them to estimate. This this blew my mind. They estimate the number of stars in the universe at 10 to the 25th power. That means 10 with 25 zeros after it. That's how many stars there are. That is roughly the number of all the grains of sand on all the world's beaches. And it says, He's the creator of what? The whole universe of things. It kind of tells me a few things. He's big, He's powerful, and you're going to answer to Him one day. Think about it. Pretty sobering, isn't it? Now it says, That all things were created. Now here is where the tense in Greek is important. The aorist tense speaks of a definite historical event. You know what an event does? It happens. It doesn't take billions of years to accomplish it. It's an event. It is definite and historical. By the way, this verse just saying he created all things they were created by him it completely rejects the theory of evolution because it didn't happen over billions of years and it wasn't a process that took place god in seven days in a historic event created the entire world and he finished the entire thing and you know who did that jesus did Jesus did. We're going to see later on. One of these major truths about him is he's the creator. Not the father. Now the father was involved and the spirit was involved. You go to Genesis 1, you'll see the trinity there. But the Colossians identifies Jesus as the principal worker in creation. And it's a definite historical event. Christ created all in heaven and earth. And he's talking about all space everywhere. Everything that exists in all space. Secondly, he created thrones and dominions, principalities and powers. And this encompasses all angels and all mankind. Now it's important to understand this. When Jesus created angels and mankind, they were all perfect. It was later that Lucifer and a third of the angels rebelled against God and they were kicked out of heaven cast out of heaven and they became demons but they were not created demons they were created angels without sin and they fell from their condition and became demons it's the same with mankind when God made man he made man what innocent he made man perfect but in Genesis chapter 3 when they chose to disobey God's command The Bible talks about the fall of the human race. And since that time, everybody born into the world is born totally depraved. And we have to be saved in order to come to life and to be made new in Christ and to receive the righteousness of Jesus so that we're acceptable to God. So he's the creator of all space, everything that's in it. He's the creator of all of the angels. And they are without number from the human perspective and he's created all of mankind from Adam and Eve to the final people who will ever be born and live and die on this planet and he made them all amazing but Christ existed eternally before any of that creation was made. Notice it says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, we need to get some things here. When it says he is, he wants to make sure that there's no confusion about who he's talking about. In the Greek, he chooses a word that says, he himself did it. (laughs) It was Jesus who did it. He himself. But then notice it says, he doesn't say he was before all things. It says he what? He is before all things. That's the present tense. That is a declaration of pre-existence. In other words, when the world began, Jesus already existed. I put it this way. Christ is not a was. Christ is an is. What is God's name? I am that I am God lives in the eternal present tense for God there is no past present and future there just is that's why today when God looks at you if he wants to he can look at your past because he already knows it he can look at your present or he can see already what you haven't even lived he knows your future He knows what you're going to have for lunch. Some of you probably don't yet know what you're going to have for lunch. God already knows. And he knows how many platefuls you're going to eat. We will stop talking about it right there. John chapter 8 and verse 58 says, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I... He didn't say, I was... He said, before Abraham was, and Abraham lived hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. Actually, a couple of thousand years before Jesus. And he said, before Abraham existed, I was living in the present tense. (laughs) Just like he is today. He's still I am. And seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls himself I am. That he is Jehovah God because he's one with the Father and one with the Holy Spirit he himself is present tense before all things he's before in respect to time he's always existed he already sees like God can the end of the world he already sees it he already knows what that will be like as God, he knows it all. But he existed in respect to time before anything, any part of creation existed, he already was. I mean, these are powerful statements about the Lord Jesus. Christ presently holds all things together. It says, by him, all things consist. It literally means to subsist or to be To hold something together. It's kind of like when you go out in the wintertime and you gather up some snow, right? Put it in your hands and you make yourself a snowball. And you're holding that in your hands. You're holding it together. The minute you throw it, what happens? Hopefully you'll hit what you're planning to hit, right? But even if it just hits the ground, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come apart. Jesus is holding the world together today. Now, what does that mean? He maintains the delicate balance necessary to life's existence. He quite literally holds all things together. Now, what does that mean? What is he talking about? Jesus Christ maintains the proper distance between the sun and the earth. Is that important? You know why that's important, don't you? If the sun was a bit closer to us, what would happen? We'd burn up. If it was farther away, we'd freeze to death. Jesus holds everything right in space exactly where it needs to be. He is the power behind every consistency in the universe. You know why the sun comes up in the morning? You do know why the sun comes up in the morning, right? It comes up because God has it come up. Now there's a process and all of that. I understand there's sun, there's moon. But you know what? I don't expect the sun to come out tonight. I expect the moon to come out tonight. You know why the moon will come out, not the sun? Because Jesus Christ is completely in control of every consistency in the universe. You know why there's always a law of gravity? Gravity. because he keeps his hands on things if he let go everything would go flying out of here you too except it wouldn't be you it'd be just a whole bunch of atoms but I know that if I and I won't again hopefully but if I drop this guess what if I let go there's a law that says it's going to hit the floor and Christ makes sure that that happens he is the controlling and unifying force in nature he is the power behind the continuance of the world that's why people say oh the man is going to destroy the world someday with atomic bombs I got news for you it'll never happen I didn't say there won't be an atomic bomb go off that could happen it's already happened in history right That could happen. But man will not destroy the world because Jesus is completely in control of all creation. And so we can trust him. Not only were all things called into being from nothing, and that's amazing, isn't it? Creation means you start with nothing and you make everything. Now, folks, I am the worst craft person in the whole world. I can't even draw a circle on a paper. It comes out as an oval or a mess. But you know what? If you give me enough time and enough chances to practice, I can probably come up with something that you might be able to recognize and give a name to. But I'm not crafty. And I have to have something to start with. I can't just say... Poof, and there it is. Because I tell you what, if I could puff anything, I'd poof something away, and I can't puff it. Not only did all things come into being from nothing, but they are maintained in their present state by the Son of God, who is the conserver, as well as the creator of all things. That's who he is. The testimony, and, and this is so important, The testimony of nature to its creator is so clear that it is only through willful unbelief that man can reject it. There are people out there who say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. The only reason they are an atheist today is because of willful unbelief. They have chosen not to believe what their eyes communicate to them every time they look around at creation. Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, and here they are, two of them, his eternal what? You don't make this world without power. And number two, his divine nature, that he's God. He's not just powerful, he's God. The Bible says the creation demonstrates to all men and women that there is a God and that he's all-powerful. And he says, these things have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made. I mean, I look up at the sky and I think about the sun. And can you imagine, back in the day when people didn't know the facts that I just shared with you. They'd look up at the sun and you know what they'd do? They'd end up worshipping it because they thought, well, that must be a god up there. It drove them to think there's more than just us. But just imagine now, I look up at the sun and now that I know how many earths can fit inside it, I have a new appreciation of that sun. And that there's one single star that would hit both the sun and the earth at the same time if it tried to go between them. I don't know about you, but wow, it says he holds everything in his hands. How do you not conclude that there's a God and that he's strong? You just got to know a little bit. Look around. And he says, they are without excuse. By the way, the answer to the question, why does God let people go to hell that never get a chance to hear about Jesus? You want to note the simple? Now, there's a... There's a Non-simple response, which is a lot more detailed. But you know what the simple response is? God put the knowledge of himself in every human being through the creation. And when people do not turn to him, they are willfully rebellious in unbelief. And because they're willfully rebellious in unbelief, they become responsible before that Almighty God. And that is why they will still go to hell even if they never hear about Jesus. And you may question that and a lot of people, believe me, down through the years have questioned That that, is that justice? I tell you what, if you want justice, folks, you and I, all of us, are in big trouble because if God starts doing things according to justice, every one of us goes to hell. I didn't like hearing that the first time someone said it to me. But it's absolutely true. You not, I, I deserve to go to hell. And so do you. Because of the sins that you've committed in your life. But thank God for the cross, amen? Where Jesus dealt with our sins. Now Jesus Christ is also, and here's the fourth thing, he is the head of the church. He's the creator of the world. But he is the head of the church. Verses 18 through 20. There are many metaphors used in scripture to describe the church. The church in some places is called a family. It's called a kingdom. It's called a vineyard. It's called a flock. It's called a building. And it's called a bride. But there is no more profound metaphor... One that has no Old Testament equivalent. And this is important. There is no Old Testament equivalent to this. The church is a body. And Christ is the head of that body. Now this is very important for us to understand. There would be no church were it not for Jesus building it. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and that was Peter's declaration, right? When he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock, on the declaration you just made about who I am, Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, let's get this straight. You and I do not build the church. Now, if you're talking about this building, at some point, somebody worked on it and built it. We're not talking about the building. We're talking about the body of Christ. And you don't become a member of that body apart from the work of Jesus Christ in your life. You can't make yourself a member. Only Jesus Christ can make you a member of that body. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, it's interesting, that phrase, gates of hell... I used to think that what that meant was that Christ was going to build his church and the devil wouldn't be able to stop him. You know, the gates of hell, like the devil, that's not what it means. The gates of hell is a metaphor in Hebrew for death and he says, I will build my church and death will not be able to stop me. He was going to go to the cross and die. But death couldn't stop him. Why? Because death couldn't control him. He rose from the dead. And is alive now and forevermore. He is the head of the church. Now folks, we are not an organization. You understand that, right? When a church becomes just an organization, we get in trouble because we're living by rules and regulations. The Bible says we are an organism, a living organism organism that's why the church is the people our church is not the membership and I will be honest with you I know what our Constitution says but I personally do not believe in church membership I don't because the only way you get into the church is by the blood of Jesus Christ and once you're in you're a part of the church Now, I understand the purpose that people have for membership, you know, people that are faithful and they're committing to the work and they'll support it and do all those kinds of things. But I want to tell you something. You ought to do that whether your name is on a piece of paper or not. And there are people who say, I don't want to become a member because if I do, then I have to commit myself. You mean you don't have to commit yourself to Jesus Christ? I've got news for you. You do have to commit yourself to Jesus Christ. And churches have rules that say, unless you're on the official list, you can't serve. I got a problem. The Holy Spirit gave spiritual gifts to every believer, not just a few of them. Not just the ones that get their name on the list. And I want to tell you one other thing here, folks, about membership. Do you understand that one of the reasons that we are in the church is so that we are submissive to the leadership in the area of church discipline? And I've had people look me right in the face say, I may be living in sin, but you can't say a thing. I'm not a member of your church. I got news for you. If you're not a member of my church... You're not saved because my church is the body of Christ. If you're in sin, the leadership, the elders have the right to confront you in your sin. If you are saved today, you are a member of his church. You may not be a member of this church, but you're a member of his church. And if it were my way of thinking, we wouldn't have a membership, and everybody who comes here would be answerable to God and to the leadership of the church, like the Bible teaches. And I know that's not popular with some, but I want to tell you something, folks. I believe it with all of my soul. And it's not because anyone in leadership wants to come after you. That's not the point. We hope we never, ever, 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 ever have to discipline anybody. But do you know, there are people who come to church professing Christians and are members of the church and they commit adultery. Did you know that? Do you know that there are Christians who have committed adultery? I got news for you. Christians that commit adultery need to be confronted. Years ago, in the church that I pastored in another place, In another time, there was a lady that was separated from her husband, and she was coming to church. And there was a single man who was coming to church. And when they first started, he sat over there, and she sat over there. Within a month or two, she was sitting there, and he was sitting there. A couple of months later, they're sitting in church and he's got his arm around her and she's married to another man. And then I find out he's moved in with her. And they keep coming. They weren't on the official list. Couldn't do a thing. Oh, really? I went and knocked on the door they didn't expect me to come now I was 20 years old so I was numb and stupid I mean you know young and stupid I I, I just thought you're supposed to obey the Bible so I just went and I just went up to the door and I knocked on the door and he comes to the door and I said to him I said I have heard you're living here now is this true? well yes I've been here about a month I said you have no right to live here biblically you have no right this woman is married and I assume you share the same bed don't you well of course we do but he said we have devotions every day I said I want to tell you something here unless you repent of your sin And unless you separate, at least, and I don't want to get into the divorce and blah, blah, all that stuff. But at least until she's not married anymore and you get legally married, there's no sleeping together. That's called sin. It's called adultery. And if you're going to keep doing that and you come out to our church this coming Sunday, we will separate you. You're going to go back to sitting over there, and she's going to go back to sitting over there. Because we're not going to have you coming in, living in adultery, with your arm around her, leaning over, kissing her through my whole message. I'm not putting up with it. And this is what was going on, folks. And you know their final excuse Well, we're not on your membership list. You can't say we can do what we want to do. I said, that's funny. I think that you have a, a, a Lord Jesus Christ according to you who says you can't do what you're doing. You may not think I have any right to say anything, but can we go to the Word for a minute here? Listen, Christ is the head of the church. He's in charge. He says what is right and what is wrong. He is the one who makes the decisions and we submit to him. We are members of the body, but he's the living head, and we answer to him. He controls every part of the body and gives it life and direction. You are not saved apart from Jesus Christ today. You're not a member of the body unless you've trusted Christ. He also directs the body's mutuality as the individual members serve and support each other. Listen. We can't be a blessing to each other and minister to each other without the power of Christ active in our lives. You want to know why? Because we're selfish people. Only two or three of you nodded your head with me. We are selfish people. You may know someone more selfish than you, but we're all selfish. We all think about ourselves pretty highly. Most of us take pretty good care of ourselves. Or if we don't, it's because we've chosen not to. And we're still in control one way or the other, we think. No, no, you can't minister to each other without Christ's help. I'm almost done. His life lived out through all the members provides the unity of the body. Listen, we will never get along unless Jesus is in control of all of us. You can't be one through your efforts. Only Christ can make us one. And lastly, He energizes and coordinates the diversity within the body, a diversity of spiritual gifts and ministries. Listen, we're to be one, but we're all different. We're different in looks. If you haven't noticed that, look around, unless you have a twin here. We're all different. And not only do we look different, but we have different personalities. What we learn in Bible school, temperaments. I didn't say tempers, we have those too, but I'm talking about temperaments. You know some people are very sanguine and outgoing, right? You know a few of those people like that? Just, whoo, 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 never stop talking and just happy and you just want to slap them right side the head, right? No, Okay, so, so you got sanguine people. And then you've got the I'm in charge people. You ever met any of them? Huh? Got any of them in the church? No, please don't raise your hand now. There are people who are very laid back. A bomb could go off and they'd say, did something happen? (laughs) Is it not true? You can have a meeting and some people are riled right up and other people are like, what? What's going on around here? We're all different. We all have different spiritual gifts. Now some of us have the same spiritual gift, but we use them different. But the gifts are in the church, and there's at least 13 that are for today. And I think there's probably a whole lot more than that, but there's at least 13. Now I want to tell you something. God gives a smattering of those 13 because he knows we all need every one of them as a part of the body. That's why we can't do without you. We can't make it without you. Because of your gift and your special way of using your gift, no one else can replace you. Folks, listen, it's all because Christ is the head and he makes it possible. That's why we must focus upon our union with the Lord Jesus. Now I'm going to stop there for today. Amen, I already went five minutes over. This Jesus we're talking about, and I've given you, I think it's four or five, I think there's nine, so we've got a ways to go. Nine things said about Jesus in this passage? He's something else, isn't he? Isn't he something else? Do you think, do you think for just a minute that maybe he deserves your devotion? Do you think maybe he deserves your love? Do you think maybe he deserves your obedience? Do you think he deserves your service? Do you think he deserves for you to love the other people he bought with his blood? If he's so great, folks, it ought to affect everything we think and say and do in this life. He's preeminent. He's the head. We've got to remember our place. Bow at his feet. We need to take Mary's spot. Get down on our face before Jesus. And kiss his feet. Because he's glorious. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for... The Holy Scriptures today, Lord, we, we've learned some things. We've learned that he's the image of God. We've learned that he's the firstborn of all creation. We've learned that he's the creator of the whole universe of things. And we've talked about that big universe and everything that's in it. And talked about angels and we've talked about mankind. And we've seen that he's the originator. He's the, the, the life of the church. He's the life of the body of which we are individual members through Christ. But he is the head. We must make sure that we let him be in control of all things. Oh, blessed Lord. As we continue to study, we've got so much more to see. Jesus is truly amazing. Truly amazing. Help us to love him more because of what we've heard from your word today and help us to be more committed to him, more ready to serve, more ready to sacrifice, more ready to go and do his will. Bless your word to our hearts, Lord, and we'll thank you for Jesus' sake.
0: And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand Him better and the truth He's laid out for us in His Word. If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website and just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.